All right, hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast episode 302. Uh, back-to-back weeks with a person who's never been on the show before. Very exciting, brand new guest. We're very excited to welcome on Cassandra Harris Lockwood of Utica Phoenix Radio. Uh, great conversation uh, with her. Also, this week we're going to talk about COVID. We're going to talk about legal uh, marijuana in New York. It finally happened after we talked about it last week. Uh, we're going to talk about WrestleMania week, Easter holiday. Uh, we'll do some history lessons. We'll talk about the brand new pasta shape. Uh, all of this, folks, some terrible 90s slang, and so, so much more. Uh, as always, folks, we are happy to have you here on the Uticast. Oh, oh, oh yes. Easter hangover. I'm tired, Kevin. I'm tired today. You did. You had. You were out there yesterday. You had to get out there. It's a long one. Um, you ever get? Uh, we went on. I had to go to Syracuse. And uh, how long should it normally take to get to Syracuse? I mean, depending where in Syracuse you're going, I guess. Let's say Camillus in Syracuse. Uh, I don't know. Forty minutes. Sounds about right. You know, yeah. 40, 45 minutes. We hit some nonsensical traffic errors that were our own doing, by the way. Walked mm. into this. Uh, let's just say someone who wasn't me uh. put in the GPS. Okay, so this place we were going. You ever go to a place where there's like, uh, I'm just going to use a fake street. Simon Way, and then Simon Place, and then mm. Simon Avenue, and they're all in the same city? Yeah, yeah. We did one of those situations. Plugged mm. in Simon Way, not Simon Avenue, ended up like halfway across. It took us like two mm. hours to get where we were going. Oh my god, oh, that's terrible. It was it was bad. It was very terrible. poor. Um, so yeah, good start. <laughs> good start to the trip. Uh, yeah, welcome back to the show, folks. I'm a little tired. Hope you all enjoyed your Easter. Hope you had a good time, Kevin. I got to tell you, you're looking very young with the trimmed beard. Thank I'm you. Say you look like you. Thank you. I'm I'm getting younger every day. <laughs> I can a... feel it. I'm spry. Popping, you know, right up out of bed, the sun's shining, nature's healing. <laughs> Nature is healing uh, for another week in a row. Mm. What do you know? Uh, you know, uh, I didn't talk about it last week. It was so popular, though, I think we're going to bring back our rock talk segment. Uh, we were talking about igneous rocks, sedimentary rocks. <laughs> uh, a lot of rock thoughts. A lot of rock thoughts. I was talking about something with this last week. Did you know that How Caverns is the second most visited natural attraction in New York State after Niagara Falls? Yeah. It's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. I didn't How know. Caverns great. Underrated. I'm not getting this is not an ad read for How Caverns. I'm gonna talk about this. It should for, be. <laughs> we'll go. <laughs> When's the last time you've been? Oh, it's been a long time. I was a kid. It's one of those things where, like every summer I'm like, oh, I'd like to go at some point this summer, then just like never really make it yeah. out there. Uh, but I would like to. How Caverns, for folks who didn't know, is named after farmer Lester Howe, who discovered this cave on May twenty second, eighteen forty two. Noticing that his cows were gathering rather frequently near some bushes at the bottom of a hill, he decided to investigate, which is how he found uh, the cave system. Uh, It's open uh, to the public for tours since 1843, and a business grew out of this. I have a funny story about this. I went as a little kid, and right outside of Howe Caverns, for whatever reason, there just so happened to be like a seasonal Civil War recreation 
like timeline thing going on. Oh yeah, yeah. It, yeah, I mean, it was like people dressed up as the Confederates and the mm-hmm. Union, and the, but what really sticks out to me is they had a tent for the Doctor. Right, the old-timey doctor on the front lines. And they did this whole bit where they amputated a guy's leg. Nice. And it was super... It wasn't graphic, because we was, obviously it's for public, but it jarred me as a child. I'm like, mm. oh no, that man has gotten his leg... Mom, that man's leg was chopped off. We have to go back to the caverns. We gotta go. <laughs> uh, that was right before How Caverns. Um, do you, I, I wonder if I get older, if I would get a little... Um, if the, the cavernness of it would give me a little uncomfort. No, I like you, it. No, you'd be fine. You think so? It's colossal in there. Yeah, <laughs> no, you'd be all right. Uh, a tour lasts about 80 minutes and shows majority of the cave. You begin in an elevator, continue to the end of the Lake of Venus, <laughs> uh, which marks the end of the property. Uh, yeah, so there's a lake down there. People get married down there. You get in a boat and you go on the underground river. In a boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's part of the trip. Uh, it's, apparently... The two-hour signature rock discovery tour, which you can do there, mm-hmm. simulates natural cave exploration with the assistance of a guide in a section of cave that had not been previously open to the public. I know people that have done that. Where yeah. You go on like the spelunking tour where they give you the, the helmet with yeah. the light on it, and that's all you have? <laughs> no artificial lighting in this part. Visitors equipped with suit appropriate for muddy and mm-hmm. cold journey. They also expanded the tour inside the remains of the original tourist boat signature, so that's expanded now since mm-hmm. last time. There's a music hall. Where sound goes through the walls, mm-hmm. uh, and then the Lake of Mystery. What a great name! The yeah. Lake of Mi- I would like that's my that's the job I would like in some alternate world. Just give me. I want to be able to name cave structures. Mm. Hey, I need you to come up with a clever name for this section of cave here. Um, and then what else? They also sell cheese, but I imagine that's like a that's probably not a big deal. Cave probably aged, great though. Cave aged cheese. Probably real good. <laughs> uh, the other part of rock talk that I had this week because everyone knows about how caverns. I was going to ask you this one. Are you familiar with Eternal Flame Falls in Chestnut Ridge Park in western New York near Buffalo? Uh, no. So this is a small grotto uh, near a waterfall mm. that emits natural gas through a shale deposit. So there's like an eternal flame burning in this grotto behind a waterfall. That's what it looks like. I it's, see. Oh, look at it, that. Yeah, pretty cool. I didn't even know this existed. It's out in Erie County. So if mm. anyone has been, any of our listeners have been to Eternal Flame Falls, let me know if it's uh, worth the hype or if it's not, not so big of a deal. Ooh, a flame in a cave. Whoopty. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I never heard of it. I'm sorry. I never heard of this before. Uh, yeah, so quick. There's some rock talk to start this week. Mm. Uh, all right. Of course, Kevin is here as always. I am here. Uh, also joining us this week, I buried the lead. We got buried with uh, rock talk. Cassandra Harris Lockhart of the Utica Phoenix Radio. Two weeks in a row, a brand new interview with someone who's never been on the show before, which I always love. So mm. great interview with her. Really exciting. We will get to that in just a few minutes. But Kevin, let's do some... House cleaning here before we get into the news this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we'll blow past a few of these things. I won't spend any time on King Kong versus Godzilla. I did a whole bit last week. We watched it. I won't go into my thing. Kevin, you're a neutral factor in this. What did you think of King Kong versus Godzilla as a neutral observer? It was exactly what it was supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, they fought. They were out there. They were doing the thing. It looked good. I've seen a lot of movies like that look worse. They did a nice job. Uh, the next weird, random pop culture release to be coming out, it feels like, is Mortal Kombat on April 15th. That's like two mm. weeks away. You more or less interested in Mortal Kombat than you were for Godzilla vs. Kong? Um, Equal, probably. E- equal but amount. It's the, same, it's the same thing. Of detached yeah. interest. <laughs> yeah, just some sort of like weird, like, ha, ah, this thing was a thing when I was a kid and it's back. Here we are. Uh, also this week, it is 
uh, spring break for a lot of you kids out there. So mm-hmm. it was weird for me to go back to work and then immediately go on break for a week. Yeah, right. Like, that, it's that's a, the dream. I know. What a deal. Uh, also, it's WrestleMania week, which we, you know, in years this past. Week? Yeah. Really? Well, is it the 10th and 11th this weekend? Huh. Yeah. I think, yeah. So WrestleMania, Saturday, Sunday this week. Uh, mm-hmm. In years past, we would have done a whole separate episode doing a WrestleMania preview when I had more free time and was sure. more excited for wrestling. Uh, what do you do? You have any thoughts about WrestleMania this week besides we'll have to watch a lot of wrestling? Uh, <laughs> as, I mean, Jesus, as if that ever stops. Um, no, I don't. It does feel like because of everything, I, I am sort of. I kind of forgot it was coming up. Like mm. I didn't forget. Obviously, they've been advertising it like crazy all over Peacock. But it just feels like I, I'm not. I don't know. I don't have any like huge excitement no, the way that I would have even in the last like five years. Uh, yeah, no. I'm, so join me. Jo- yeah. <laughs> Join me there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, I think sometimes because WrestleMania always has like a big celebrity. And I guess Bad Bunny is the big celebrity this year. He's like the, the mainstream celebrity or something. To, there's no like crossover appeal for a I, lot of people this year, I think. Yeah, I don't I don't, I don't know if they ever really have that. They'd like to have it. They don't cross over to anybody. Yeah, it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's super niche. Like they don't pull in people. They don't pull in like casual people. Well, that's what we're. I really think that's the thing. Well, that's, I guess that's what we were talking about this morning when I was watching WrestleMania six. Like we we're like, oh, this was always kind of bad. Like even the golden years of wrestling, it's like it's not as good as everyone remembers it to be. There's like moments of like I say it all the time. People just miss being a kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it's true. all it is. Uh, so we'll move on from WrestleMania, uh, Kev. Before we get into the news, how was your particular Easter? Enjoy your Easter weekend. Did you have a oh, it was great. Rela- yeah, I had a great Easter. Yeah. Easter is low key one of my favorites because you don't because there's not much to do. Yeah. There's like low expectations mm-hmm. to it. There's not a lot going on, and the weather's always kind of getting nice. It was nice out yesterday, so I got to see some family, you know, all the people, a lot of people post-vaccination now, getting back together. We were outside. It was nice. It was a really good day. Oh, yeah. No, it was really nice. Um, first time I've seen a lot of these folks in a long time, so mm-hmm. it was really nice to see people in my family. I give my cousin a lot of credit. Uh, shout out to my cousin Joe, who's been sending uh, mailbag questions, real legitimate mailbag questions into this show for years. Mm. Uh, but, man... They got the triplets over there on one side of that family. Mm. That's that's a whole different kind of having kids, boy. I I'll couldn't t- imagine triplets. T- they're lucky they're sweet and cute looking because, man, three's a lot for anything. I know people with twins, and I know how tall of a task is that is for those folks. Triplets, I can't imagine. Oh, deep respect for my for my cousins for you pulling off. You would have off. to become, like, polyamorous. You would have to add a third person to your marriage. You're like, listen, we gotta. There's no way the two of us were outnumbered. No, no. we're outnumbered. Three diapers. They have the high ground. It's <laughs> they, they, we are. John Doe has the advantage. John Doe has the advantage, guys. Uh, yeah. So I had a really nice Easter weekend. Uh, I have to say, you know, I feel like uh, it. I have start, felt like the world's starting to feel a little bit going back to normal. But it was weird to like sort of drive around and see a lot of people. Feeling mm. that way this weekend. You know what I mean? Like, it felt like a lot of people were feeling good for once. Family. You know, like, I, I don't know. I just felt like it, it felt vibrant this weekend in a way that I had not seen previously. Well, what? Like, people out there? Yeah, just people out there. Huh. And I don't I mean, like, in a non-safe way. It seemed to be, like, even families I saw were sort of, like, doing their own thing. But it seemed like it was out there. You know what I mean? Mm. For the first time in a long time. Mm. So. All right. Speaking of which, let's get into some COVID-related stuff this week. Uh, recently, Pfizer... Uh, the Pfizer vaccine said that the COVID-19 vaccine is safe and 100% effective and well-tolerated in adolescents. So starting this week, uh, 
uh, kids from 12 to 15 can start getting the the vaccine. Mm. So I can stop teasing my niece, who I've been telling her she's not important enough. I'm like, I'm sorry, your age range is just not important. Well, there you go. She's really been mad at me. I've been really been giving her a hard time. She's really been internalizing it. (laughs) I've been giving her a hard time. Listen, it's important to give your nieces and nephews a little bit of a hard time when you see them. Mm. That's what makes them enjoy you. Not too much. Don't be a jerk. But you got to tease them a little bit. Mm. Just a little bit. That's my advice for all you inspiring uncles and aunts out there. Uh, the other the other COVID-related news this week, uh, well, locally, uh, starting Monday, so I guess starting today, uh, casinos, movie theaters, bowling alleys, billiard halls, gyms, and fitness centers no longer have 11 p.m. curfews. Mm. So now you can, if you want that late night gym or casino or billiard hall experience, if you've only been going during the day. I don't even, why are billiard halls even open during the day? <laughs> like they're only, they should only be open past Oh, uh, no, they're busy. They're, they're busy because who plays pool? Old men. They're old retired. Men. You go down to Hippos, you go down to Utica Billiards, seriously, you go down there at like probably 12.30 and old men playing like crazy. Do I have the wrong impression of billiard clubs thinking like it's some cool place that people go late at night to play pool and smoke cigarettes in their leather motorcycle jackets? I mean, they're for sure playing pool and smoking cigarettes in there probably, but um, (laughs) it's just the the type of people, I've always found that the type of people who play enough pool to go Mm -hmm. to like billiards halls... They are always a very specific, like, type of person oh, who yeah. gets that much oh, yeah. into it. But you would be surprised. Like, we know, there's some people we know who are, like, who play pool and are in, like, leagues and tournaments and stuff like that. Pool's one of those things I think I'm good at. I'll mm. play a couple games. I'm like, oh, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Until you play somebody who's really good. Then you're like, oh, no. I'm, yeah, yeah. I am very much overmatched here. I know what you mean. You know what's weird? This is, it's one of those stupid things. I used to have a pool game on, like, my phone when I was a kid. Like, maybe on, like, one of our older, like, Envy-style phones. And I feel like I got better at pool just from playing the pool game because I looked at a lot of angles. Does that make any sense? Yeah, at least you under, it makes you understand, so yeah. you're not just, like, poking. I certainly couldn't uh, go through with my, uh, you know, hit exactly where I wanted to hit every time. That's just skill. I didn't have the skill. But I understood what I was doing. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's uh, technique, too, but you can't learn that from the game. No, no. And then, uh... Last but not least, this one is from uh, the New York uh, from New York Intelligence Service this week. Uh, CDC suggested earlier this week that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, they do not get sick, uh, and that they do not infect others, meaning that people who have been vaccinated uh, do not spread the risk of transmission to other people. That's based on real-world data, according to the CDC, from earlier this week. So, yeah, great stuff to hear. Um, yeah, I think, you know, now you're starting to see, you know, it's opened up to everyone into it it's accessible now in a way that i didn't feel like it was now i'm seeing everybody going out to do it right yeah um yeah, i think i still only saw that like it's still only like 18 percent of the country I, that might number might that number might be different now but like as a total mm. it's like 18 percent of the whole country has gotten okay. it. i don't have a number i'm yeah. not sure about that that would seem about right honestly if you're just starting to get it rolling out and seeing it all the time that seems about right mm-hmm uh, all right, did I have any other uh, COVID? No, I think that's it. I think that's it for COVID this week. Good, Good news, feels like, right? That's 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 positive. Have you heard the rumor that there might be an Amazon looking at the Frankfurt, uh, looking for a warehouse in Frankfurt? Yes. Might be getting that Amazon action. Mm. Uh, yeah, apparently Hale Manufacturing up on Route 5S, North Business Park in Frankfurt, will vacate its location, and a lot of rumors say it's going to be Amazon. Mm, I wouldn't be surprised. You think that means Bezos is going to move to Utica? Probably. <laughs> He's going to start see him down in Nail Creek. Him, no, you're going to see him up at the bar at Ocean Blue. Hold the Yo. bar out there on the, on the, the patio. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm not trying to bald shame. I feel like if I had as much money 
as Bezos had. Mm. I might spend some of it to have hair again. There's like nothing to be done when you're that. When you're that bald, bald. Yeah, it's not like you can't just buy hair unless you're getting like a, a piece, like a piece, ben, right? Like Ben Affleck wears, like something like that. And then right? you got to wear the piece forever, right? You can't take it off, right? And then yeah. people will know. System, literally, you have more money than anybody. Why would you care at all? You don't think you, I? I think it would still. Because you have, you could have anything you want except this one thing. Then pay, then, <laughs> then pay your therapist if you're like that broken up about it. I don't know. Like, well, I will ask him when I see him at Ocean Blue on the patio when mm-hmm. we when we have some cocktails. Obviously, when he comes to live here in Frankfurt. I see. <laughs> uh, we talked about it last week. We sort of teased it, but in the week that it happened, New York is now uh, has now legalized recreational marijuana. Mm. It happened this week. Um, so let's just run through the, this is from New York Times, this is pretty much everything you folks will need to know about everything that's going on. Uh, recreational marijuana is now legal in New York, selling it will be legal too once regulations are in place. Uh, that means for most New Yorkers, you're allowed to possess up to three ounces of cannabis for recreational use, or concentrated cannabis such as oils, things like that. This is for people who are 21 or older to use, smoke, ingest, consume. They may also give it to others who meet the same age requirement. At your house, people would will be permitted to store up to five pounds of cannabis. That's an insane amount of cannabis. <laughs> uh, but they'll have to take reasonable steps, quote-unquote, to make sure it is stored in a secure place. Mm. Uh, there are penalties ranging from simple violations to felonies. Uh, in terms of where it will be allowed, it will be allowed anywhere in public where smoking tobacco is legal, as far as right now today. Mm. Uh, it's not permitted in schools, workplaces, or inside of cars, so you can't be... Rolling into your car and lighting up a fat blunt, guys. Don't be mm-hmm. high riding. It's not a free ride. Um, I, you know, all this seems very obvious. Do you think it will still be weird to see it sort of implemented into regular day to day life now after so long of not seeing it? Yeah, of course. It'll still be weird, right? Of course it would. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I just think it. It'll take some time. I think for most people to get comfortable with the idea. Of yeah. It. I mean, just like anything else, you know, like this kind of thing that goes on. Is you can't just hit a switch with something and have you know wake up one day and everything is different and everybody's mind is different. Yeah. There are still some questions. Obviously, you know, there is really no way to test for marijuana. Like if it's in your system, like when you smoked it, how long it's been in your system, things like that. Right. Especially if you get pulled over for something mm-hmm. like that. So there's some questions there which still need to be answered. Uh, but I do think New York did a really, really good job in terms of, like, making restitution for a lot of the stuff for a lot of people. Not everybody, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, you can go to New York Times. This is all on the New York Times if you want to read everything. I don't feel like we need to dig through every single no, detail of this. you don't need to read from a page, people. You can get the information. It's out there. It's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's always important. When Anytime any major law changes in the area where you live... It's important, and it's kind of your civic responsibility to go look up and learn about it just so you can be a more informed citizen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's always important. So, you know, anytime something like this changes, um, things have changed that were very different. So it's always good to go out and do some reading, figure out what's going on. Good for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, on the heels of this, uh, after New York is legalized, Chuck Schumer is eyeing federal reform. So maybe you start to see some sort of broader federal reform now as well in place. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, I mean, why why delay the inevitable at this point in time? Again, even if you don't, you know, even if you don't want to smoke marijuana, I know a lot of people who still will choose not to. It's hard to deny the yeah, financial and tax benefits. Exactly. It's like it's not that serious. Yeah, this feels like a win financially for a lot of people and for a lot of reasons. I don't see any real huge downside here. No. You know what I mean? So, yeah, 
it just feels weird. I never thought. I guess. I guess I never thought it would see it. I, like I didn't think it would be this soon. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I didn't used to think. If you had asked me in more recent years, I thought it was soon. But when I was younger, it did not seem like the type of thing. Like the way people would talk about it back in, you know, like the George W. Bush years, it seemed like one of those things. I'm like, ah, oh, maybe when I'm 60, they might get there. You know? Yeah. But yeah. Here that's we are. Really true. Really true. I've never really thought we'd see it in like our this early very quickly again i think you look at what other states did right that really would set the table right once you see the success other places it just becomes a dominoes falling you can't situation. hide it from yeah. the people anymore yeah all right well very good good stuff uh what else what else do we have uh i mean i'm done with this guy for this week i mean matt gates is just the answer no. right? <laughs> i don't i mean I'm not going to sit here. Everyone's been talking about this all week. There's nothing I can say about this that'll add anything to it. Just say one of my least favorite guys in all of politics. So Terrible guy. One of the worst. You knew he was a terrible guy. You can tell, tell by looking at him. One of the <laughs> rare people you can tell just by looking at him he's a terrible guy. And, like, I mean, every word the guy says, like, no, nothing hmm. about any of this has surprised me. No. No, not at all. Uh, the, the only surprise, well, it's not really surprising. I am surprised that... Yeah, well, the, you QAnon has defended him, right? Because they are the sex trafficking police, right? No, you're, you're not. You shouldn't be surprised by that. That's, I don't know. Maybe they didn't really care about this. What a surprise! Uh, yeah, it, it's. I'm happy to see him like get in trouble because I don't like him. Uh, and yeah, that's it. I feel bad for saying it, but that's the reality. I don't didn't feel like bad him. at all. Look at, look at the person. Look who they surround themselves with. I mean, it yeah. is what it is. I'm good. Throw the book at them. Good. I'm Send done. The on them. I don't care. Done with this guy. Uh, this week, we're going to do something different for the big energy segment. A lot of times, I do the big energy is an ironic segment. Mm. Uh, but this week, it's a real big one. It goes to ship supervisor Abigail Weaver from the Stewart shop in Yorkville, uh, who, because of her conversation she'd been having with uh, a man who'd been in the store, saved his life. Uh, it seemed like he was having some sort of medical issue in the store. Mm. They brought him to the hospital, and the doctors told him that if he had come in two hours later, he would not have survived. Oh, man. So, great intervention by That's these folks amazing. at the Stewart Shops. I already like Stewart Shops. Yeah, Again. true. I hope Stewart does the right thing. Throw this girl a bonus. Yeah, give her a give bonus. Give her some of that ice cream, too. Get her free ice cream. <laughs> yeah, I want to give the names right here. So, it was uh, her and her manager, Nikki Su- uh, Sowie. That's Abigail Weaver, Nikki Sowie, our big, mm. big energy winners of the week. Non-ironic. Mm. Great job, guys. This is good stuff. Mm. Looking out for your fellow man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you always got to you gotta be looking out for people as much as you can. Yeah, I wanted to do something. Nice story for once. I didn't have any wild Diego Maradona stories for this week. So. Uh, all right. Um, let's get into this week's interview. Uh and our guest this week, a first-time guest, very excited to have her on. She is the president and CEO of the Utica Phoenix since 2018, but she's been invested in the community for far longer, uh, including the uh, For the Good Incorporated, going all the way back to the early 2000s. Uh, plus, we talked about a lot of stuff, time in the Lower East Side in New York in the early 70s. So mm. great, wide-ranging conversation uh, with Cassandra Harris-Lockwood of the Utica Phoenix. And we'll be back in just a moment. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, just so you know, uh, because I am very 
uh, bad with technology. Okay. I'm just going to let you know right now, we're already recording. <laughs> just because I, I had to start, right? It's, oh, 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 right now. Okay. That's yeah, that, that's okay. It's a pleasure to, to meet you, Cassandra. It's nice to meet you, too. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, this is the Uticast episode 302. And of course, we are joined by Cassandra Harris Lockwood. You are the, uh, correct me if I got this, you're the president and CEO of Phoenix Radio? Yes. And you've been with this position since 2018. Stations, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, we can get into all of that as well because I'm sure that there's a there's I've looked through a little bit of history trying to prep myself so you can tell me where all the things I got wrong were. Uh, but, uh, but Cassandra, for folks who've never been on the show before, I'll just give you a quick rundown of how we sort of do everything. Um, our interviews are done in a three part interview. Okay. Uh, typically, the first part will be just about uh, you and your background. Uh, Second part will be about Utica Phoenix and the business you've been doing there. And the third part is our lightning round questions, which are just non sequitur questions that are sort of fun that everyone answers. Okay. Uh, so well, let's start off at the very, at the very beginning. Cassandra, where were, you, uh, where were you born? Where were you raised originally? I was born in Washington, D.C., but I was raised pretty much upstate New York. Oh, I very nice. Marcy. Pretty much grew up in Marcy. We had Marcy, a, We had a short... Uh, uh, short-lived and unsuccessful attempt to live in Utica uh, when my uh, dad brought us here from Schenectady. He was uh, engineer with General Electric and housing discrimination against Blacks was so fierce at that time. Right. He literally couldn't buy a house, you know. With, he was an electrical engineer. There were, you know, engineers buying houses all over the place, you know. That was, the, that was actually the, the first tech boom that we had in, in, in Utica in the 50s you're part of that so you so you probably didn't so you didn't get into Utica initially the first time you guys stayed out of Utica the first time or no no we did um but we ended up living in the projects because uh no one would sell a house to a black family yeah in these developments that were coming up all over the place you can read about it there's a an article I wrote uh, it's on the website uh in the uticaphoenix.net website uh, my father's battle with housing discrimination in the 1950s. And it's so interesting because, you know, I think for uh, the younger generation, I think a lot of people look at Utica as somewhat progressive compared to a lot of the neighboring districts around it, I think. At least that's when I was teaching in public schools, that tended to be the feeling for the kids there. Well, and for the white kids, yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, people, you know there's, there, there's histories, you know. I mean, your experience is is not my experience, you know, I mean, and, and actually I had kind of a, a go back and forth with this one guy on, on Facebook, whose father was also with General Electric. And, you know, he says, well, you and I, we had privileged upbringings, you know, your father was da, 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 and my father was, hey, you know what I said? Yeah, well, did you get slapped around and called a little black nigger by your second grade teacher? Did you get thrown, you know, against the boy by, you know, and get called foul names by your fourth grade teacher? Did you spend, you know, most of your sixth grade, you know, behind the door by your sixth grade teacher? No. No, we had different, very different experiences. I mean, I, I managed, obviously, you know. And did it affect like sort of uh, your friendships and growing up in the school districts around here? Did you find it struggle to, to get along with people in the neighborhood? I'm just curious. I, I don't it know. It's funny because I just finished telling this story not too yeah. long ago when we, we, we had a, a bad incident uh, with a nun in second grade. So my parents mm -hmm. moved us out of uh, that school to the Whitesboro School District, Marcy Elementary. In my first day of third grade, the biggest kid in the class called me a nigger. 
you know, mm-hmm. so went out to, I waited, you know, went out to the schoolyard and beat him up, made him cry. And I had lots of friends because apparently he was the bully. And I took out the bully the first day of school and I had friends. I had plenty of friends, yeah. Were you, uh, <laughs> now, were you going to UFA at this point in time? No, I only went to UFA for one year. I graduated from UFA because my parents moved from us, the small house we had in Marcy to a much larger house on Riverside Drive in Utica. So it's a different school district. I ended up graduating from UFA, yeah. And UFA is an interesting one because it's, uh, you know, I, my parents grew up in education. So UFA is sort of this school that people forget ever existed in this region. Wow, it's too bad. <laughs> it's sort of the, yeah, the forgotten district almost. Yeah. Now, were you an only child or was it just you? And- <laughs> oh. No. <laughs> Five brothers and sisters. Five brothers. Were you youngest, oldest? Where did you fall in I'm that? the oldest girl. Uh, the oldest. So I'm the youngest. And I've always found that as the youngest in my family, I got away with a lot more. Did you feel like on the other end of the spectrum, you were you had more responsibility? More responsibility and greater consequences. Believe me, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Much greater consequences, yes. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you went to Kirkland for college initially as a dance major? Um, I started as a sociology major. I ended yeah. as, a, as a fine arts and dance major, yeah. Uh, what sort of, when did you start getting into uh, dance and that kind of thing? Was that something you'd always been interested in or something you just well, followed? As, as a child, you know, my parents sent us to dance class my brother and I went to dance the tap ballet you know that sort of thing and um by the time I got to Kirkland um there were no requirements for gym or anything like that and I said I'm not gonna sit around getting fat and stupid around. you know so anyway I I you know I I there was a, a very robust dance program so I got into it and turns out I was a dance prodigy so I I ended up going to New York City and I, you know, accepted scholarships at the Alvin Ailey School, the Dance Theater of Harlem, George Faison School. Yeah, I noticed you mentioned down here that you were living, was it Lower East Side, 1974? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was one of those generation of kids who went to New York in the early 2000s, 2007, 8. We all kind of, there was a big rush to move to Brooklyn during that period. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I spent a lot of time in the Lower East Side because I went to college in Manhattan. Uh, can you give us a little uh, look into what the Lower East Side was like in 1974? It was a blast. It was a total <laughs> blast. Uh, the um, Fillmore East was still open. I went to the last concert uh, at the Fillmore East. Uh, it was uh, Ike and Tina Turner. And it was, uh, must have been New Year's. That must have been amazing. Yeah, it was, it was. You know, so, you know, it, you know, 8th Street, you know, St. Mark's Place. Uh, you know, I, I lived on the same block that Bob Dylan had lived on. You know, it was, it was awesome. You know, it was really, you know, lots of, uh, lots of, you know, people, you know, international. It was, oh, yeah. was you know, very cool. Do you, uh, and I, I'm, you know, I moved back about, I don't know, geez, about five or six years ago, I've been back in Utica. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm really settling in, as I turn 36 coming up, I'm really settling into the fact that I don't like the crowds and stuff the way I used to in my 20s, but I'm still very, like, nostalgic for the, the youth and the fun of New York. Do you miss it now, ever? Do you ever still think about, like, your times down there? It was funny. I remember, you know, uh, deciding to make the big break, you know, in 79. And it, it, it came to me, well, New York 
it's not going anywhere. It'll all be always be here if I want to go back to New York, but I can't get in New York what I can have here. Yeah, and you know, I, I we I've talked about it a million times on the show with people who've you know left for a big city and come back. I think there's an inherent view from people who are like, oh, you went to a big city and you didn't stay, you came back. Did you did you fail? Was it a mistake? And I, I said no. I but I feel like I could, you know, I was close to my family here. I was working education. Sometimes, you know, you feel like you don't have an impact in such a large community. I felt like I was, you know, sort of anonymous in, in New York, like nothing I really did mattered. Whereas here, I felt like my impact in the community was much greater. I had big fun in New York when oh, I was yeah. down there. When I was down there as an undergrad, um, I drove horse and carriage through Central Park. Really? To, uh, you know, support myself. Yeah. yeah. You know, if, you know country girl, podunk, you know, <laughs> backwater, Marcy, New York, and going down, what, what was I going to do? And all those, you know, all the people, you know, how the connections in New York City got to know somebody. And, and I didn't know anybody, uh, but I, and I figured I would rather, you know, shovel doo-doo than take doo-doo, having to work for minimum wage. So yeah. I looked for a job, um, you know, in a stable because hmm. the show Pippin was on. They had lots of animals. Oh, yeah. We had to keep them somewhere. And I ended up, you know, I have a real affinity for horses and nature. So I ended up driving. I was the first female, I was the first woman to drive horse and carriage through Central Park. That's amazing. That's a really amazing little footnote to have that probably no one knows about. <laughs> I, can still, I, I still have horses, though. I, I have horses. Can I tell you a, a dirty little secret about myself? Go ahead. I am kind of scared of horses. Well, you wouldn't do too well, um, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, because everybody had, you were going to do something with a horse, you know, right? And people are, Maybe people not a hundred years ago, but you know. You know people are thrown off when I say that, and they're, you know, I'm like, oh, they're so smart, and I'm like, they're huge, they're so big. If that horse they're really not that smart, they're they're they have their they have their a, a special keenness to them, but hmm, smart, I don't think is really part of the. That's fair. Operation. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> So what uh, what brought you back upstate? You said in '79 was when you left New York. Yes, did, did I, you... I came back to marry Steve Lockwood. <laughs> and uh, I want to I just want to mention that because I saw this on your Facebook page. You you've been married since 1979, uh, and in in you know the modern world we live in, that's that's amazing. Do you have any successful advice for people to sustain a marriage for this long? Start off with the right one. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Start off with the right one. Did you guys, did you guys know each other in college, high school? Is that how you met? Um, I met Steve because he was my lawyer. I got beat up by a cop when I was oh, in Kirkland College. Yep. Wow. And he was my lawyer. Terrible. Yeah, it was bad. Oh was my bad. god. Um, so I want to ask you a little bit about uh, for the good incorporated, mm -hmm. um, because I was trying to do my my research here and try and figure out how this all lays out together. But I figured it's better to have you just uh, explain it for me. So you start you started FTG Incorporated in two thousand and two. Yes, with the help of you know some significant players, but of course. Yeah. yeah. And what my was husband the, among them? And what was the initial goal in two thousand and two when you guys started the incorporation? Actually, Sam, it started because uh, Utica Community Action was collapsing, hmm. and um, I, because of my involvement in the community, I knew how significant that institution was. And I didn't not I didn't want it to go away. I didn't want the, those resources uh, to just disappear. 
you know, being involved in um, community development and, uh, you know, economic development, you know, you know what the, you know, who the players are and the, the uh, community services block grant monies are a significant uh, platform for operations in any in any municipality and uh, that the the csbg creates the community action and by the time community action um collapsed uh was destroyed uh it was bringing in more than 10 million dollars a year in you know annual revenues that was on top of well that was no that was as a result of the the uh chunk of change that csbg provides for the agency who who has that has that title at that time it was ucai um they uh uh let that go and mohawk valley community action assumed that uh assumed that title but has never had the um, the mission to that that Utica would be the center of its operations. It's always been a rural uh, orientation with a particular interest on um, um, the um, what is it um, children um, Head Start. They okay. have a lot of Head Start operations all over the place, but they don't do anywhere anywhere near the amount of community development uh, uh, programming that's that that once was and is is greatly needed. So that's why it was an attempt to uh, assume that role as a community action agency, and it's never it's it's never um, been realized. Now. Yeah, if I'm reading this correctly, the Phoenix itself sort of launched out of this in 2004. This was out of the original FTG, or am I reading that wrong? No, no, no. No, actually, and it was earlier than that, um, because prior to For the Good, uh, I was the executive director of Cornhill People United, and Cornhill People United had a, a little quarterly newsletter called Cornhill Speaks, mm -hmm. and I took it from a quarterly newsletter to first a bi-monthly news magazine and then the next step was a monthly news magazine and it was very well received and um eventually uh we changed the name from cornhill speaks to uh what was it um the voice mm -hmm. and i knew that uh again with my work in community development that the uh, community was it called CHR? The uh, it's the it was a 1974 act that required that uh, banking institutions and um, insurance companies reinvest in neighborhoods where they had once redlined. So there's the Community Reinvestment Act that said that they had to support these kinds of efforts. So I knew that it was uh, a, a, an effective enterprise to get advertising from them, that they would buy advertising. And that's how I developed, you know, I knew once I had left uh, for the, uh, once I had left Cornhill People United, if I ever came back, that there would be 
of uh, an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial aspect to the not-for-profit because not-for-profits can't rely on grants and you know donations all the time. You have to have some sort of way to generate income, and that's why I made uh, the newspaper. I attached the newspaper to the uh, agency. And I know the in the Utica Phoenix name, you know, it goes goes so far. I remember this name going all the way back to my childhood. It's a very common name, you know. And uh, but I also think, you know, when you say the Phoenix now, does this encompass just the newspaper and the radio? Is it sort of an overarching name for everything now, right? Well, we kind of you know, here in house, we kind of view it as uh, a community of uh, well, as, as Phoenix Media. Phoenix Media, okay, Phoenix very cool. Media. And that the not for profit. Uh, will will eventually be able to rely on the for-profit to assure its stability and longevity, and it's it's they're they're pretty uh, it, it kind of work synergistically right now because you know a uh, any any business that you start up you know the first three to five if if you make it to three to three years you know then the three to five years you'll be established so it, 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 they 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 support each other because. You know, we started the online version of the Utica Phoenix in 2010. And then, you know, the radio station afterwards, you know, so the, the, the um, you know, they, they work, they work well together. Yeah. So sure. We have three different species of media. <laughs> and then just last year, uh, I stepped into television with yeah. uh, Juneteenth, which was a for the good you know, for the good event. And, you know, but then again, we were able to promote it through the radio station and, and you know, all of our, all of our platforms. And, uh, and for folks who I was looking at the website just now, you've been doing the hot seat show. That's Mondays through Thursdays from five to six. How long have you been doing that show? Have you been on the radio yourself now? A couple of years now. I don't even know. It's all a blur. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I always ask, you know, because I, I started off in uh, playing in bands and playing music and, you know, podcasting and sort of this aspect of what my creative life has become sort of became an accident. It was a byproduct of having all the software and knowing how to use it. Were you, was being on the radio and being a, a community, you know, talking, talking head, I don't want to use the term derogatorily, did that, was that something that was ever on your plate or did it sort of surprise you? It's funny because, you know, um, having been an activist basically all my life. Well, I was in student government when I was a kid. Yeah. And by the time we got to Whitesboro, we had hit uh, this this bump in the road, a big bump in the road where the the uh, voters did not pass the, uh, the, the budget. And we were looking at continual, uh, you know, austerity and kids having to walk to school and, no supplies in the in the science labs and all this kind of stuff and um you know was i was like what 16 17 you know 15 16 and you know uh, you 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 know now you know what was you know did you did you see the chicago seven uh, i've not watched the movie okay. yet no all right was well, that's what i grew up in that was the meat okay you, you, there was there was you know you had to resist you had to protest you had to you know be you know you had to state your position and then and then hold it and, um, you know, so there were, you know, demonstrations and things going on all over the country, but nothing here. And this was so egregious that, 
you know, myself and all my, my fellow student leaders were like, wait, this, you know, they won't even let us talk at a, at a, you know, school board meeting. What are we going to do? And something spoke into my ear and said, you got to walk this school out. <laughs> <laughs> so I organized the first nonviolent civil disobedience in Oneida County. But before I did, I called the radio station called WTLB. It was that was the kid station. There was no FM. I called them and I made a statement. And I also called the TV station and let them know that the school was going to there was going to be a walkout and they had a camera there. So I've always had kind of this affinity for media being uh, significant when it comes to your message, when it comes to what your mission is, you've got to have eyes on it, ears on it, and other people have to know about it. So it's just, this is like, yeah, it works. It works. So 20 and I'm, a music, and I'm a musician, Sam. Oh, wonderful. What do you, what's your instrument of choice? Oh, uh, probably the guitar. I started with the flute, played the guitar. I sing and you know, I've uh, and I've been in uh, uh, from the time I was in grade school and high school. I was in musicals. Oh yeah. And, and you know what? I was just watching that that crazy show that Zoe's Magic Playlist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that show. I love it. I was and so, I was so lucky. I had a sister growing up who was into musical theater because I don't think it would have approached me otherwise. Right. But I, I grew up with it in my life, and I, I think it affected me as going forward. I got into saxophone, guitar, bass, and all that goes back to watching that growing up. Right, and, and it's such an integration yeah. of dance and, and, and drama and music. It's like perfect. <laughs> uh, so I have to ask, so 2018, you come in, you're the president, you're the CEO. Now you're, you know, you're doing the, the hot seat, you're on the radio, you're a figure, COVID hits, how did that sort of affect the day-to-day of everything you guys have been doing down at the Phoenix? Did it change everything? Did it come to a stop? Did you guys? Well, have- I got COVID. You got it. Yeah. I got COVID back in March. I last March I got COVID right away, and um, you know we had to we had to totally alter the way we did business here. You know, we couldn't let people come in. No guests. You know, we're wiping down everything and masks and social distancing. Luckily, the office that we have lends itself mm-hmm. to. Uh, being able to do business and and not have to be on top of each other. We're not in these little tight little cells and stuff. But um, yeah, and um, you know, it was tough. It's it's been tough. Yeah, and it's it's so funny. I I struggled because you know for years the whole point of the show was I had people come into my house or I would come to sit with them and you would have that uh, that back to forth conversation and it was real raw and visceral and I was really. I struggled to to transfer over to this Zoom world and I, I was really hesitant to do it. And now I've gotten so used to it. I feel like I'm going to keep doing it even after this is all over with. A little too convenient, huh? It's a little too convenient, especially when it's not my <laughs> only job. <laughs> a little bit too convenient, yeah. Uh, so uh, before we get into lightning round questions, I just want to let people know, uh, you can go to uticaphoenix.net. Uh, you can go to Facebook, Facebook. Uh, where else can people get a hold of you if they want to reach out, learn more about uh, what you guys are doing? Well, 95.5theheat.com uh, mm-hmm. is the radio website. That's correct. And, um, you know, then uticaphoenix.net. And then there's also forthegoodinc.org. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And I'll do my best to link all of this in the in our listings for all of our uh, listeners afterwards. And again, Cassandra, I want to thank you for spending some time with us today. Before you go, 
Uh, we do have our lightning round questions. These are the same five or six questions we ask everybody who's been on the show. Uh, don't feel the need to rush because they're lightning round questions. I'm not going to put. I have to say, you know that I was, I was, I'm, I've recently been a a, a guest on uh, says you right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this cannot come anywhere near being as 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 uh, uh, intense as. Cassandra, when you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee? Cream and sugar. Oh, from my husband. I take it from my husband. <laughs> cream and sugar. <laughs> you know, I, I, I talk about this every, you know, we, we have a pretty split mix. A lot of people take it just black. A lot of people take cream and sugar. I feel like as I get a little older, I'm supposed to be committing to drinking black coffee. And I've never been able to make the hump. I still like it a little sweet with the cream and sugar. I guess I like a little bit of, I, I don't know. I don't know why I'm fighting for it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. Drink your coffee. <laughs> uh, Sandra, what was your very first automobile? Oh, that oh that I that I had. You owned, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, it was a a, a fair a Ford Fairlane. I bought it uh, for five hundred bucks. Yes. <laughs> after my after uh, my first summer of of um, working construction, I was the first female construction worker in New York State. Oh wow. <laughs> you got a lot of firsts in your resume. <laughs> uh, you, you may or may not have taken your Ford Fairlane to see it, but what was your first live music event? Oh, oh, that without a doubt, that would have been um, uh, the Dick Clark Caravan of Stars wow. at, uh, at the auditorium at the Memorial Utica Memorial Auditorium. Oh yeah, you remember they James Brown? Either one, but they they, they used to come. And <laughs> that was those that was, was great great concerts at the odd. Yep. You remember anyone who was at the Cavalcade of Stars? You remember any particular artists you can remember? You, what do you mean the, the you, Dick Clark one? The, uh, Dick Clark. Oh yeah, are you kidding? Everybody was there. They had the Supremes. They had. <laughs> The Temptation, everybody was oh, there. It was awesome. It was the Dick Clark Caravan of Stars. <laughs> All right, so this is a tough question, so I might give you a second on this one. Um, right. If you could have dinner with any person, living or dead, who is not your family, who would it be and why? Now, that's a tough one. Who would it be? <laughs> Say that again. So any person, living or dead, who is not your relative, because otherwise everyone just says their parents. And I, I'm sure that that would be nice too, but I'd like a, I want someone a little different. <laughs> I'd say Jesus Christ. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm there here for it. There you go. <laughs> how can you be, how can you not beat that? I mean, that's it. Yeah, uh, give me one book, album, movie, or television show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Book? Yeah. Book, album, or movie, or television show. Any of those. The Materia Medica by uh, <laughs> <laughs> by um, Hahnemann. Yeah, by Samuel Hahnemann. All right, very good. I like it. Uh, and besides uh, besides community activism, uh, besides uh, radio dance, besides media, besides all the things you've done, give me one more thing we haven't talked about that you are passionate about. Horseback riding. Horseback riding. And being out in the woods, yeah. Being out in nature, being out in the woods, yeah. 
You know, that's it's so funny. When I was a when I was a young man, the, you could not have gotten I, I didn't like being outside. We had like a family camp. I didn't want I wanted to be in the city. I wanted to be around my friends. I wanted to be like in the in the thick of it. And as I get to like my mid 30s now, the call for quiet and nature is really starting to to come in in the back. <laughs> it's starting to sneak up on me a little bit. <laughs> There's a big deficit, you know, yeah. I think I think that um, humans sadly have a real deficit for nature, you know. Mm -hmm. It's, it's so healing. You know, I started the, the, um, the community gardens here in Utica. Mm. And um, it's like another world. Yeah. Just, you know, you can go to the gardens and you're, you're transported, you're relieved, you're, you know, uh, you're separated from, you know, that day-to-day -day grind. It just happens. Um, Cassandra, I really want to thank you for spending time with us today. I really do appreciate you taking time out of your afternoon to talk with us. And again, folks can go to uticaphoenix.net. You can listen at 95.5 FM. Uh, is it 13, 13 AM or 15, 15 AM? Did I? 15, 1550. Okay. Cassandra, I want to thank you so much. We appreciate you and enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for thinking of me. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Take care. Thank you once again, Cassandra Harris Lockwood. Great conversation, great time talking. I'm surprised it took us this long to have her on. She I was, was surprised when you said that it was the first time we were talking before we got on. Said I was shocked because I really thought that you had interviewed her before. Mutual circles. I feel like her mm -hmm. Ron goes on the show a lot with her, and I've we had, had that Ron happen. Lot, yeah. There'll be sometimes people come on, and it's like I'm surprised that we haven't gotten a chance to get here yet. Well, the, the one I always laugh at was Josh from K Rock when we he. Like we ran similar circles on Twitter and social media, and then when right, he was right. on here, I was like, "Oh, we're like best friends." Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh, we we agree on everything. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's always a surprise, but great conversation. Happy to have her on. Thank you. Uh, UticaPhoenix.net, and I'll put all the links for everything else afterwards. Oh, I'm really excited about this history lesson, Kev. You're gonna really like this one. Great, you ready? I bet. On this day, 1614, Pocahontas marries not John Smith, mm -hmm. but of course, John Rolfe. That's right, <laughs> my favorite character from early pilgrim history. Uh, let's, let's do a little recap. In May of 1607, when about 100 English colonists were settled in Jamestown. What a wild thing, real quick, first sentence. 100 people. Guys, we're going to go start a new... We need like 100 people, right? That's what we need? Just 100? We can do this, right? 100 people is very few in the yeah. grand scheme of things. Yeah. Uh, settled in Jamestown, the first permanent English settlement in America. Settlers fared badly because of famine, disease, and Native American attacks, but they were aided by a very adept 27-year-old Englishman named John Smith, who directed survival efforts and mapped the area. While exploring uh, the Chickahominy River in December of 1607, Smith and two colonists were captured by Powhatan warriors. His compatriots were killed, but Smith himself was spared and released because of the dramatic intercession of Pocahontas, Chief Powhatan's 13-year-old daughter. Her name is not actually Pocahontas, by the way. That's a, mm. that's a nickname. Her name was uh, Matawaka. I hope I said that correctly. Matawaka. Anyway, uh, Pocahontas is translated as playful one or my favorite daughter, which means the most unpopular of the children. Mm. My favorite daughter. Everyone probably hated it. Mm. Uh, Pocahontas. There you go. In 1608, Smith became president of the J Jamestown colony, but the settlement continued to suffer. 
During this time, Pocahontas was regularly a member of the Jamestown community, bearing gifts, helping the settlers, sort of establishing a, a, a route between the settlers and the Native Americans. Uh, Smith would eventually go back to England, uh, and when he had to, it was for illness, I want to say here, what my notes say, relations with the, uh, with the Powhatans deteriorated, many settlers died from famine and disease. It was around this time in 1910 that a man named John Rolfe arrived in Jamestown, bringing with him tobacco, the first commercially successful plant in the American colonies at the time. So mm-hmm. James Rolfe, that tobacco money, getting that tobacco, uh, tobacco money. Mm. Uh, introducing a successful source of livelihood that would have far-reaching importance for the state of Virginia going forward. Big time. Uh, in 1613, Pocahontas was taken hostage by Captain Samuel Argale, and he was used as a bargaining chip uh, to deal with her father. During this time, she was brought to Jamestown and then put in custody of Thomas Gates, who was the Marshal of Virginia. He treated her, though, not as a prisoner, but as a guest. They taught her English, uh, they converted her to Christianity, and she was had her name changed to Lady Rebecca. So that's her new name. It's kind of a downgrade, I feel it's like. It's terrible. <laughs> kind of a downgrade. It's terrible to kidnap somebody and yes. change their name. The worst. Uh, Powhatan essentially agreed to terms for her release, but by then, her and John Rolfe had begun their forbidden romance. So, during this time, she fell in love with John Rolfe. Uh, on April 5th, uh, Pocahontas Rolfe married with the blessing of Chief Powhatan and the governor of Virginia. Marriage brought peace between the English colonists and the Powhatans. 1615, she gave birth to their first child. Uh, she got sick and died, I want to say, in 1617 on the way back to Virginia. So there you go. I know that people love the John Smith Pocahontas story with, uh, from Disney, but in reality, John Smith Pocahontas was never meant to be. Ships that passed in the night. A whole different guy. Whole different guy. The tobacco baron, John Rolfe. <laughs> what a time. <laughs> yeah. All right. 1614. On this day, 1917, U.S. officially entered World War One. Uh... Woodrow Wilson had pledged neutrality uh, for the U.S., which was popular sentiment. Britain, however, which was one of America's closest trading partners, uh, felt tension when the U.S. and Germany were dealing with British Isle quarantine. Germany was not allowing any ships to pass through the British Isles. And because of this, several U.S. ships, which were traveling to Britain, were sunk by German mines in February 16, uh, sorry, 1915. Germany announced unrestricted warfare on all ships, neutral or otherwise. Uh, during the next month, they announced uh, they had sunk the William P. Fry, an American private vessel. Woodrow Wilson was outraged, but the German government apologized, calling the attack an unfortunate mistake. So you get one. Sorry, we didn't mean to. Our bad, mm-hmm. right? Uh, May 7th, the Lusitania ocean liner was torpedoed without warning just off the coast of Ireland. Uh, about 1,200 people were killed, including 128 Americans. German government maintained the Lusitania was carrying munitions. But the U.S. demanded reparations and an end to German attacks on unarmed passenger and merchant ships. When I was a kid, there was always the conspiracy that the U.S. like purposely put the ship out there to get destroyed so they could right. get into the war. I, I don't have some sort of hard proof on either of that, but that was something we were told when I was a kid. Mm. Um, in August uh, that year, Germany pledged to see the safety of passengers before sinking their vessels. So now they said, all right, we'll sink your stuff, but we'll make sure you don't kill anybody. But in November, they sunk an Italian liner without warning, breaking those rules. With those attacks, public opinion in the U.S. began to turn irrevocably against Germany. Uh, so there you go. This is, yeah, Lusitania was like the, always the easy answer when people say, how did this, how do we get involved in World War One?" Yeah. Sunk the Lusitania. Something simple to start with in high school. Yeah. But in the broader sense, it was a longer, sort of prolonged argument over territory in the British Isles between the U.S. and Britain and Germany. Mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah. Seems kind of quaint now, doesn't it? 
weirdly quaint in hindsight for considering what wars are fought for today. Yeah, it wasn't I mean it wasn't that long ago, but it seems like a million years ago in some ways. Mm. Uh, all right, let's move on to something a little lighter on this day, 1968. One of my favorite movies of all time debuted. Uh, that's right, 2001's A Space Odyssey by Stanley Kubrick. Mm. Uh, Kubrick was always intrigued by science fiction, but felt that the genre rarely produced interesting films. He began determining to make one using the science fiction story The Sentinel as source material and listing the author of the original story, Arthur C. Clarke, as the co-writer. The film does feature a cohesive plot, including two scientists and a highly intelligent computer sent to investigate a mysterious event, but it's also sort of non-sequitur and shot out of film. There's a legendary sequence with humanoids learning to use tools after the appearance of a mysterious monolith. It's a very strange movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he was really only allowed to do this after the success of Dr. Strangelove, which had right. been a big hit for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, few would argue about the greatness of the movie, but... On the night of its debut, Kubrick felt like it was already going to be a failure. He felt like people weren't going to like it. Uh, what's interesting about this movie, I think, in comparison to like a guy like Christopher Nolan, if you look at, like from everything I've read about the movie Interstellar, a lot of the psychedelic effects and stuff they use in this movie is pretty practical. So to mm-hmm. look at the special effects in hindsight, it's really impressive mm-hmm. to look at this movie in 1968. It feels like it holds up in a way a lot of movies about space in that era aren't even close to. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um... Yeah, you should watch Interstellar. I know. <laughs> I went looking for it somewhere and I couldn't find it on one of the streaming platforms. I gotta find mm. it now. Lead actor uh, estimated that she saw 250 people walk out of the premiere and Arthur C. Clarke reportedly heard a studio executive remark, well, that's the end of Stanley Kubrick's career. It was not, mind you. Uh, some reviews agreed, calling the film plotting, immensely boring, and even a disaster. Uh, many reviews were glowing, however. Roger Ebert gave it four stars. Uh, L.A. Times called it the ultimate statement of a science fiction film. Audiences seemed to like it, uh, flocking to the film upon its release and creating such demand that many American theaters screened it regularly for over a year after its debut. Film went on to win an Oscar for Best Visual Effects and numerous other awards. Today it is regarded as not only a seminal work of science fiction, but one of the defining films of the 20th century. Mm. Kev, do you have any thoughts about this particular movie? Um... Mm, it's it's always tough with a movie like this that becomes such a larger part of the cultural fabric because it's hard to have thoughts about it that are my own mm-hmm. if that makes any sense um just i mean colossal it's one of those it's one of those movies where you probably visually know things from it or references to it if you don't even like know yeah. that that's what it's from you know what i mean it's one of those things uh, where if you were to watch it you'd be like oh this scene or this thing that I've seen play out, you know, otherwise. I love this movie. I could approach this from a million angles, but what I guess I'll, I'll, I'll take it from this angle to start. Mm. A lot of times you get movies in your life, especially if it's a movie that is released in a time before you would have seen it, like a classic older film, right, that you would not have seen unless you went out to seek it out. Mm. And a lot of times those movies get overhyped in your head. Oh, you have, like, I, I always talk about The Big Lebowski. Didn't see it when it came out, kind of never saw it afterwards, didn't really get it for why it was such a big deal. And everyone for years like, dude, you have to see this one. You crazy is the greatest comedy of the 20th century, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, great. So by the time I saw it, did I like it? Yeah, it's a great movie. I was like, that's it? Do you mm-hmm. mean, that's how I sort of felt. And I feel bad because everyone loves that movie. But I was like, that's it? Yeah. 2001 was a movie that had great hype and I watched it and I was blown away. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. oh. So I think expectations are a really big one for this movie. I had high expectations and in one of those weird scenarios, it was better than I thought it was going to be. That's always nice. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Kubrick, another interesting one, and I'll just rip through this. He really doesn't have a lot of 
filmography compared to like more modern directors. It's really a pretty limited run of movies. Uh, I'll get you a list with anything here. It's, uh, again, Spartacus in 1960, which I don't always remember he directed. Mm. Uh, but you're talking Dr. Strangelove, really, like, S. Lolita, Dr. Strangelove, 2001, Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, Eyes Wide Shut, that's it. It's yeah. a pretty limited, and I don't even know if I love all of those movies. No, certainly. Don't really care for Eyes Wide Shut. Barry Lyndon's a tough hang. Adam Goldstein will tell you it's the best Stanley Kubrick movie, but I think he's lying to me. Mm. Uh, yeah, but I would say this is probably my go-to movie for him. If I have to pick one, Stanley Kubrick, this would be the one that I would go down with. This or maybe Strangelove? Mm. Over this. The Shining? I have such a weird thoughts with The Shining and the Stephen King thing, too. Because I have such weird thoughts where I conflate my Stephen King brain mm. and my Stanley Kubrick brain with The Shining. Mm. Maybe over Dr. Strangelove. Probably not over Space Odyssey. Yeah. Probably I, not over Space Odyssey, I yeah, think. Yeah, over Strange. Yeah, it seems like it would have to go over Strangelove. I couldn't tell you what Barry Lyndon is about, by the way. I think it's like a period piece, which uh. seems tough. Doesn't that always tough to name a movie after a person unless they're like an obviously super famous person? Is Barry Lyndon a person I should know otherwise? Gotta watch the movie to find out. I guess I gotta watch the movie to find out. I want to say this is one of those like wildly long movies too from him. Like this is. All those movies are long. No, it's only an hour and two hours and ten. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm wrong about Barry Lyndon. I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna do a Barry Lyndon refresher next week. We'll see. Uh, all right, let's let's move on to our last two history lessons. I'm getting caught up here. Uh, on this day, 1970. Sam Shepard, the inspiration for The Fugitive, died. Are you familiar with the story about Sam Shepard? I mean, I know The Fugitive. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. fair. Uh, Sam Shepard was a doctor whose wife uh, was beaten to death in the couple's Bay Village, Ohio home. Uh, he contested that a bushy-haired attacker had beaten him as well. Uh, however, he was arrested for murder and stood trial in the fall of 1954. Case generated massive media attention, and some members of the press were accused of supporting the perception that Shepard was guilty. Uh, persecutors argued that Shepard was motivated to kill his wife because she had been cheating on him and wanted out of his marriage. In his defense, Shepard's attorney had said his client had sustained serious injuries that could only have been inflicted by an intruder. In December of 1954, the jury convicted Shepard of second-degree murder and he was sentenced to life in prison. However, after a decade behind bars, Shepard's new criminal defense attorney, F. Lee Bailey, convinced the Supreme Court to uh, grant his client a new trial as he had been denied due process. Uh, at the second trial, Shepard was found not guilty in November of 1966. This case put Bailey on the map as he went on to represent many high-profile clients going forward, including Boston Strangler, Patty Hearst, O.J. Simpson. Uh, Shepard briefly returned to his medical career and later embarked as a short stint, is my favorite part of the story, by the way, mm. a, and a short stint as a professional wrestler mm. going by the name The Killer Shepard. <laughs> Maybe not the best move, my dude. Uh, no one ever, uh, no one else was ever charged for Marilyn Shepard's murder in the late 1950s. However, a window washer named Richard Eberling, who had worked at Shepard's house, came under suspicion as one of Marilyn's rings was found in his possession. Mm. In the 1980s, Eberling was convicted of murdering another woman, and he died in prison. Sam Shepard, who became a heavy drinker in the last years of his life, died of liver failure in 1970. His son made multiple attempts to clear his name, including unsuccessfully suing the government for wrongful imprisonment as late as 2000. So a wild story here for Dr. Shepard. Yeah. <laughs> this feels like, I'm, I'm sure maybe there already is a movie about this, like the true story of the fugitive. I'm sure that exists mm -hmm. in some form, maybe a documentary. Mm -hmm. But I was surprised I didn't know more about this beforehand. Yeah. So there you go, 1970. Man. 
And then, uh, and a sad note again on this one, 1994, on this day, uh, grunge rock icon Kurt Cobain dies by suicide, body discovered inside a Seattle, Washington home mm. by an electrician who was installing security systems in his suburban house. Mm. Uh, despite indications that Cobain, the lead singer of Nirvana, killed himself, some skeptics question the circumstances of his death and pin responsibility on his wife, Courtney Love. Did you ever watch any of the movies they made about like those? No, they... I, didn't, I didn't watch any movies. I read a couple books, but yeah. I didn't ever see any of those documentaries that came out a couple years ago. Mm. I never read any of the books. I've always just heard that as a thing. Like, mm. oh, she might have done it. I mean, I don't, I don't have a take. If you're, if you're curious, yeah, I don't know if she did it or not. Mm. Uh, Cobain's downward spiral began taking shape in Italy the previous month. He had went into a coma and nearly died after mixing champagne with the drug uh, rohypnol. Mm-hmm. Uh, this the public was led to believe that this coma was induced by. A, Heroin overdose, which he had had well, with issues for, but it was actually not. Mm. Uh, back at his home in Seattle, police were called on Cobain in Love's home where he had threatened to kill himself again. Uh, Cobain stated in a 91 interview that he didn't believe in guns, but during this raid, police confiscated four firearms from the house. Right. Uh, as his wife and friends watched him spin out of control, they attempted to intervene. Cobain mostly ignored their concerns, but reluctantly checked into rehab in L.A. at the end of March uh, on the 30th of March, Cobain walked away from the clinic without informing friends or family for the next few days. No one could locate him, and a private detective was hired on April 3rd. A uh, detective made contact with Cobain the following day in Seattle. Cobain refused to return to L.A. In the meantime, Cobain, uh, Cobain was convicted, uh, convinced a friend to buy him a gun, claiming he needed it for protection. On April 5th, he returned home. He had ingested enough Valium and heroin to reach near-fatal levels. He left a suicide note quoting the Neil Young lyric, it is better to burn out than fade away. It's a very sad mm. story. Um, I mean, I always think to myself, like, I always think Cobain would have been one of those characters who would still be around and relevant, I think, too, oh, if, if somehow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, it's always so sad, you know, and I, it's sad when great talent is conflated with, like, great pain, great emotional sadness. And it seems so common, you know? Like, I didn't know as much about Nirvana until later, but I love the band Sublime, and there's a very similar sadness to the story of Bradley Knoll and his mm-hmm. loss, you know, losing the battle of heroin addiction in the wake mm-hmm. of his new son being... It's all very sad. And it always makes me feel kind of lucky. You know, we grew up in around a lot of musicians and a lot of creative types, and you mm-hmm. saw similar scenarios where people would get caught up with, you know substance abuse and it's very sad that it lingers in such creative people sometimes and I don't know how to define it it's just I mean this really really goes to show that it doesn't matter who you are you yeah. know what I mean it doesn't matter who you are and what you have like once it gets its hooks in you I mean you're, yeah. you're in a lot of trouble yeah alright that's Downer uh, let's do something sure much is. lighter and I gotta tell you this is my this is the most important story of the week for me I saved it for the second half because it's not super important but for me it is the most important mm. Kevin have you heard that there is a new Pasta shape that dropped this week. Apparently, yeah. A brand new pasta shape. It is called the Cascatelli, which is Italian for little water, little waterfalls. Uh, it's it's supposed to be designed specifically so that it can catch sauce on both sides of the noodle. I mean, <laughs> what are your immediate thoughts on looking at it? I have to ask. Like it. I, I understand the idea, right? You gotta get the sauce. It's not a very appealing looking noodle, maybe? Look, I mean, it looks fine. I, it looks like, I feel like I've already seen those. They already got those noodles. <laughs> you can get that. Yeah. Tell you is This is for people that don't have, like, places like Roma's in their community. You know what I mean? Like, no. for folks like... Eh. Apparently, this was a huge effort. It took three years to invent the new How? pasta shape. Well, mm. because there's a whole process to it. Mm. You have to get... Apparently, to have a 
particular pasta, you have to make the die for it, like the actual die cast. That's what makes it a official pasta Scalable, that you can sell in the yeah. store, right? So apparently it took a very long time to actually get someone to make a new die cast. I swear to God, I'm not joking. I listened to this guy, Dan pa- uh, Pashman. It's on The Sporkful. He was on a podcast I listened to. The story of him inventing this pasta is way more interesting than it has any reason to be. It's wildly fascinating. <laughs> and I was so happy that, like, three months ago I heard this interview, and now, like, national coverage, new pasta be dropping, y'all. That's what I'm seeing on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, so, yeah, if I can find this pasta, I'm going to get it. And the nice thing about it is this guy, all the money they've made from it is, like, donations to like, charitable causes. So it's, mm. I don't know how super available it is nationally, uh, nationwide, but it's a really good story. So if you want to know more about it, go to, like, thesporkful.com. Yeah. Pasta. Pasta. Lord. If you had to invent a pasta shape, what do you think in right off your head? You think it's some sort of tube, some long pasta? Um, I mean, you, you've already got all the long shapes, so there's nothing you can really do with that. What about like a curly fry style pasta where it's in a curly cube? Um, no. How would it retain its curliness, I suppose? No. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. I mean, shout out to this guy, I guess, <laughs> because he just chopped up like lasagna noodles and he's selling them. <laughs> so that's strong. Good for him. Uh, all right, what else do we have on here this week? Oh, so we we talked about this off the air, but I think it's folks out here love White Claw. I know how popular it is. Are you folks ready? Did we talk about this last week? Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. White Claw coming out. White Claw summer. We'll talk about it. Ne- we'll talk about it again next week. Uh, here's a great story for you, though. This is my favorite kind of story for the week. Uh, home break-ins are common, but this unlawful entry was not so common. Earlier this week, a woman in Erie had a wild turkey break into her house and mm. proceed to wreak havoc. Uh, apparently, the turkey smashed through the bedroom window, flew wildly around, demolishing mirrors and smashing into walls like there is no tomorrow. Turkey, I don't turkey in your house be a problem. I don't like birds in the first place, mm. but a turkey is a way too big of a bird to be just out on its own merit in your house. Yeah, running around causing problems. Yeah. I don't feel it. I, I hate this story. Yeah, you would not like it, I don't think. Uh, it was later cornered into a bathroom. Smart move. Uh, New York Department of Environmental Conservative, uh, Conservation Officers were able to contain it with a fishing net. And I think that's the thing, right? A turkey's so big, you might not want to go in there yourself and try and get that thing. Mm. Right? Like, a, you get attacked by a turkey. Yeah. They come after you. Yeah, yeah. I had a pigeon once in a house, and that was bad enough. Mm. I had to cover it with a garbage can and drag it toward the front door, hoping it wouldn't fly out. Mm-hmm. It's very unsettling. Yeah, it's tough to get a bird out without like hitting it. Because <laughs> you don't want to. You know what I mean? Like if a bird's in your house, I'm not. Trying, I'm not trying to kill a bird. Yo, the first two people you know? I called to help me, that was their first offer. Do you want me to come kill it? I was like, no. Why is that the first thing you've gone to? Is there no other way? I must find a way. <coughs> All right, quick Doomsday report. This is from Popular Mechanics this week. Uh, I like this story as well. Uh, apparently, scientists have found a shared genetic past between saliva and venom. This means that venomous mammals and reptiles have a common ancestor, which leads us to believe that future humans could be venomous. That's oh. right. <laughs> venomous humans. Kev, we've talked about all the different scenarios we've come up with for like doomsday novels and, uh, and like apocalypse novels. What are your thoughts about venomous humans? The venom. Um... Let me tell you about some venomous humans that I know. No, um, wild, I, I guess. I don't think so. Yeah. Maybe. Seems a little, little clicky, a little far-fetched. It has something a little, to... hey, we might have venom. Well, I think it has more to do with, like, the idea that the saliva systems are shared between us and, like, a lot of animals that would have venom. And not that we mm. will immediately, but the potential for venom mm. exists. 
I would like to have Venom like a spitting cobra so I could hit people from a distance, like leak it at them, you know what I mean? Like, squirt them with it? Yeah, That'd be pretty no, good. No, I'm not. No? I'm, just I'm not trying to know. What are you trying to spit? Venom? Like, reptile from Mortal people? Kombat. Oh, out dude. here? Well, not currently now. What are you? No, uh, no way. <laughs> Alright, speaking of uh, odd stories, uh, surprise, surprise, Russia released today their poll for Russia's hottest man. Hottest man in Russia. The poll came out today. Kevin, can you guess who it was? I can. That's right, it was Vladimir Putin with 18% of the vote. Russia's sexiest man. Vladimir Putin. Uh, I just want to share the quote that people posted on here. Russians still call Vladimir Putin the most famous, attractive man in the country. Neither actor, nor athlete, nor politician can compete with him today. Quote, says, unquote. says, totally legitimate survey. Says definitely not Vladimir Putin's publicist. This is the same guy who said Trump weighed 239 pounds. <laughs> it's true. It's the same fella. Uh, Kev, here's a fun segment for us to go out in before we do uh, Spotify and Mailbag. I found a list of popular 90s slang phrases. Okay. I'm going to hit you with a couple up. You tell me if you've ever actually used this phrase in our lifetime. Okay. Did you use A-I-I-G-H-T? Yeah, sure. I feel Probably. like that was around. Yeah, that's just like, yeah, that's vernacular. Did you ever say all that in a bag of chips in a real conversation? No. That feels like TV 90s. Yeah, that's garbage. How about as if? No. It's also TV 90s. I mean, it's like, that's not something that people say. That's like people, people just say this stuff ironically. <laughs> as if it's a movie quote. What about using the word bling non-ironically? No, I don't wear bling. I feel like I did use that ironically probably at some point in time in the late 90s, early 2000s. I'm sure at some point, like, if you were talking about, oh, somebody had that blinged out shiny thing. Yeah, yeah. But, like, yeah, no, I don't know. But booyah. I definitely no. used booyah playing sports. No. That was definitely a thing. I used the bomb as well as a as a description of things. That's the bomb. It's weird they got to put the duh instead of just the. Well, that's how I would. I mean, that's how I would have said it back in the day. Don't go there. How about that one? Don't go there. Is that slang? That's like a that's, saying. I don't know if that's, that's just a phrase. How about eat my shorts? Popularized by Bart Simpson. Probably is like a dumb child. You know, probably like five being an asshole. What about referring to someone like a boy or girl you think is attractive as fly? You like? Oh, yeah, yeah, you can say that someone's looking fly. It's, fly. Like, it's also always like kind of said in jest. You know what I mean? What about I'm totally bugging? No. Did you ever say I'm totally bugging? We were born I, in this era, I Kevin. I, were we? We lived in this era. This was our time. The yeah, 90s, we lived, man. but like this, see, this is early. We were like little kids. What about, oh, snap. You ever say, oh, snap to anybody? Oh, man, I don't know, man. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> Uh, all right, I feel like that's enough here. 90s phrase. If you think of any of these you actually used, I feel like uh, I don't. I feel like I remember using some of these, but it's so it's such a long time ago. Like when you're a small child, you just like, repeat stuff you hear. So like, have you ever said them? Probably. But, like, do you, is this like? Oh, I used to say this all the time, but I don't anymore. No, not no that kind of thing. I feel like I still say dope, which was probably I don't remember when that came into vogue as describing something as dope. That's I still been back. That comes in and out. That comes in and out. That's yeah, pretty well worn. Are there, there there are a few that I feel like last forever, right? I feel like I can always say something is very cool to my kids in school and they understand what I mean. Well, yeah, because that's just like that's flat. Like, yeah, that's, that, that's yeah. the basic baseline. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some other ones, but yeah, there you go. If you have any '90s slang you guys can think of that we missed, let us know. It'll be totally tubular, bro. Jeez, totally. That's what I mean. Like nobody said. Radical, bro. Uh, all right, uh, let's do a quick mailbag question before we get into uh, Spotify. Let's see here. What do we have this week? Oh, what are your thoughts on bumper stickers as a lifestyle choice? Oh, I've got a lot of thoughts about this. I think. <laughs> um, I'm gonna. You want to go first? 
No, go ahead. Let me let me gather my thoughts. I'm gonna stick away from uh, political bumper stickers because I understand what people do when they put political bumper stickers on. That's just like I'm gonna show you what a what a tough guy I am a lot of times, right? Or what my thoughts are. But I feel like I there's not a lot of things that I feel strong enough about that I'd want to put on my car, right? Like I don't know. I, I don't know if a bumper sticker makes your car look nice. I've had stuff on my car in the past that I feel regrettable about in sure. hindsight. Sure. But I don't know. I, I feel like I've never looked at somebody's bumper sticker and thought, that's cool. I wish I had that on my car. Do you know mm. what I'm saying? Like, even if I liked the bumper sticker, I don't know if I want it on my thing. I'm like, I guess I appreciate other people having a funny bumper sticker or something. But I still Yeah, I'll see some sometimes that I like. They're not for me. No. Not for me. I'm not trying to, like, I'll put a sticker on my car. Like, I'm not really trying to go with, like, a funny slogan. I don't I don't really... When I had that crummy Oldsmobile, I put the Apple sticker next to the logo because I thought it was funny. But that was the only thing I had on it. I had that little Apple logo mm-hmm. that comes with your iPhone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, that's probably as close as I ever got to a bumper sticker. Yeah. You know what I did have, though, for you folks out there from a certain era? I did have a little Italian flag. On my car when I was in high school. Oh man! Do you remember what I'm talking like the little like the yeah, reflector you still see style? Some of those around sometimes. <laughs> I want to see someone stole that off my car. Yeah, probably. So, it's a proper parking lot. I bet they did. I bet they did. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I just I would never do it, even if it was a bumper sticker I liked. I see sometimes bumper sticker makes me laugh. Whatever. I still don't know if I would ever want that on my car. Cause I couldn't imagine what it would be. Like I'm couldn't trying to imagine. Th- I'm trying to think of something that I would. That would like, be. It would get me to put it on. Even something totally like not offensive. I mean, if you have like a business and you get like a decal or a wrap, that's different. I, I like think... a, I like a window decal, like on a back window or a side. That's better than a bumper, like a rectangle sticker to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I feel like uh, bumper stickers are the equivalent of like the signs that parents hang in their house that have like little clever like no back talking on it. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. It's like this is supposed to be cute and yeah, it's, it's the not same quite kind of as. It's not quite as cute as you think it is. Uh, but hey, I'm not here to, to, to harsh anybody's mellow. If putting bumper stickers on your car makes you feel good. Yeah, you feel I always laugh. appreciate it. Knock yourself out. See it. It's just not for me. Yeah. Uh, all right, there you go. Kevin, do you have any thoughts? Spotify list? Did you put any songs on already? Or do you have any songs you'd like to highlight for this week's Spotify um, list? I got looking a little bit, and I don't have a ton of it put together. But I will say I'm going to put on uh, Dashboard by Modest Mouse. Because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. awesome, and it's a great warm weather, windows down, driving around song. Um... And I'll also maybe I'll do uh, maybe I'll do a Nirvana song. You said Nirvana song thing yeah. in the history lesson, so maybe I'll find a Nirvana song mm. that I like. Um, take that, take a minute, and then get that on there. All right. So for me, I got. Uh, let's see. We'll do two this week. Uh, I did "Singing in My Sleep," which is the second single after "Closing Time" by Semisonic. Mm. Which uh, I started watching this YouTube series with you this week, where it was like talking about one-hit wonders and like bad albums for bands. I really enjoyed it. Mm. It got me thinking about particularly that one semi-sonic like album, like their post-closing time career. I do kind of think so. I, I'm a stand for semi-sonic, so mm. I do believe that they were a band who didn't get a proper evaluation. Didn't get a fair shake. Didn't get a fair shake. I think there's some good stuff on their album after that and their album before the one with closing time on it that nobody ever talks about. Mm. So there you go. And then um, Operator by Jim Croce. I don't know why. The song got stuck in my head for some reason this week. And I that's how it goes sometimes. Is, that's just Louise. That's a good one. All right. Uh, so that's it. Uh, sayonara, humanoids. Thanks again 
to Cassandra Harris Lockwood from Phoenix uh, Utica Phoenix Radio. You can check her out Monday through Thursday on the Hot Spot, 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. That's 95.5 FM. I love the radio station. That's one of my favorite extensions of them, by the way. Yeah, it's great. It's awesome. It's I love great. on the weekends playing all the throwbacks. Oh, yeah. You got some good like actual DJs putting together a show on there. Yeah. Deeply appreciate. Great stuff they're doing. Uh, shout out to Heather Waz. We love you. Check in with her. See how she's doing, everybody. Yeah, go drive Tell by her house. Drive by her house. She see doesn't how she's have doing. curtains. She doesn't keep her curtains up. You can see everything that's going on. Uh, uh, that's it. You can follow uh, Kevin at uh, underscore Kevin Sullivan. You can follow me at SF Doom or just follow the show at Uticast. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcasts, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, the Apple Podcast. I said Apple. I said all the podcasts. Twitter, Instagram, things, social media, the internet. We're all over the place. Uh, that's it. Sign our humanoids. Keep it tight. Woodstock lives. Tape machines are rolling. We are desperately, desperately out of time. We will see you next week. It's gonna be nice out there, folks. Go outside. Get a little, get a little air through your, through your hair. A little sun on your cheeks. It's good for you. Make you feel better. Make the world a little more positive. Nature is healing. Nature is healing. We will see you, folks, next week. Take care.